from Alliance of Women Filmmakers, this is Visionary Voices, behind-the-scenes conversations with groundbreaking women and non-binary filmmakers from around the world. I'm Diana Means. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I am speaking with filmmaker Alejandra Velasco about her film, The Seventh Circle, a horror-themed short about a man living in limbo confronted by his violent past. Alejandra, welcome to the show. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, we're going to start off by you telling us a little bit about your background as a filmmaker. Well, I have a past as a video artist and performance artist, and that has really informed my filmmaking. You know, I never really thought that I could be a filmmaker due to lack of representation and like, you know, kind of encouragement in that field. And I I've always been an artist, drawing, painting, making collages, but I always had a performance aspect as well. I was a ballerina and I would play with my sister. We would always be pre- playing pretend and just be very creative all the time. But I was always really interested in movies. I was obsessed with movies to this day. I would tell my parents like, please let me stay up so I can watch the Academy Awards. And sometimes they would let me, sometimes they would not. It was pretty late uh, in Mexico City. But I never really thought that I could be a filmmaker. Like it just, I didn't see people like me really. And it just felt like a faraway dream. So I studied design at Parsons in New York City. And there I met some total freaks that made me realize that I could do whatever I wanted. So I started taking video art classes at Parsons at university and doing performance art. And then my senior thesis was a horror short film called Alba, which deals with a lot of the same themes that The Seventh Circle does now. We'll get into that later. But from then on, I just fell in love with video art, with filmmaking. And I got my my first short film that I co-directed with my friend Alexander Khan in Mexico City, uh, was the first of the free girls that was part of a festival called Women's Voices Now. But because of that experience, I decided to move to LA to pursue filmmaking and be a director and really dive deep. And I've been here since 2015 and it has been quite the journey. What part of Mexico are you from? I'm from Mexico City. The capital. Have you been? I have not. I have not, but I will um, have to go at some point. Now, you mentioned Women Voices Now. How did you find out about Women Voices Now? Well, I'm sure y'all have heard Heidi's uh, interview with you. It was a couple of podcasts ago. I heard it today, which was awesome. And Heidi's the executive director of Women's Voices Now. And I first heard of Women's Voices Now because of a dear friend of mine, Leila Jarman, who used to work in the organization and was responsible for helping it come up from the ground up. And it has been now maybe four years that I have been working with Women's Voices Now in their Girls' Voices Now program. 
which you do know of, right? Curls yes. Yes, yeah. I know that well. So your first film, were you in Mexico City when you found out about Women's Voices Now and, and you joined with your first film? Uh, well, no. We, I, well, I was in Mexico City shooting the short, uh, the first of the free girls. And then I got an artist visa, which is actually really hard to get to come to the United States and keep making art and exploring my creative expression. So I decided to come to Los Angeles to be part of the film industry and like finally be like, hey, Hollywood, what's up? <laughs> it's been, you know, different than <laughs> what I imagined it would be. I'm sure. But it has been amazing. Yeah, of course. Um, but here, I was actually in LA when I first heard of Women's Voices Now. And I think it is because of Layla, because she she introduced me to it. And I submitted my film and it won Best Experimental Short which was incredible. I just didn't think something like that would be possible. It was a very big, surprising reward. Now, in my opening, I described The Seventh Circle as a horror film. But how would you describe the film and explain to us what the title means? The Seventh Circle is the seventh circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. And that is where people that have committed violent acts in their living moment in this, on this earth go when they die. So that relates to the film because The Seventh Circle is the story of a man who is dealing with severe guilt and confusion because he has committed a violent act. But the movie, the, the short film is told in a way that is nonlinear, where we are inside of the main character's mind. The main character is called El Minotauro, which means the Minotaur, which if we know of the, the legend of the Minotaur is that he was um, stuck in a maze and he was a monster that people feared. And that is a symbolism for what is going on in our main character's mind. He can't escape his feelings of guilt so that they keep being repeated over and over. So I would say that it is a psychological horror film because it is all about uh, you being the monster, you know, and you having to face the fact that you could also become a villain like one moment changes everything and your whole life can change. Now, while I was watching the film, I was thinking to myself, for a man living in purgatory, he is living in a really nice home. Now, from the way the film is shot, it seems like the home is its own character in the film with its own kind of weird presence. Can you tell us, was the home an artistic choice? Or is that just what was available to you as far as a shooting location? Thank you, Diana, for noticing that the house is a really important character in the film. Uh, we actually wrote the film and thought about the film because of the house. We spent 2020 in that amazing, beautiful house designed by famed architect John Lautner. And... We just knew that we had to film something there. I mean, it was just a very 
beautiful house, but also very, very powerful. There's a very intense energy in that house. I mean, the legend is that it's haunted and the, um, the ghost of John Hodiak, who was a Hollywood actor in like the 40s, roams the hallways looking to party. And I believe it. I believe that story. I had my friends who lived there. I trust them. And that's what they told me. You know, the house has, like you said, has such an ominous presence and it symbolized like even if you are in the most beautiful place, if you cannot escape your mental prison, then everything will seem like a prison. That's so interesting because he's in this beautiful house, but he's also in the prison of his own mind. Now, you mentioned staying there in 2020. That was the height of the lockdown. Did that have any inspiration into you writing this? Just the uncertainty of knowing what was coming next during the lockdown, the pandemic? Yeah, 2020 was such an interesting time. I mean, it was scary. Uh, it was exciting. It was totally unique. And my friends Enrique and Charlie, who are the stars of the film, were staying in that house. Um, a friend of ours was generous enough to let them stay there during the pandemic. And we had our um, COVID bubble <laughs> there. You know, we would go and see um, them and hang out there and spend weekends there just spend the whole weekend there. And in addition, Enrique the star was in visa limbo. That's what we call it, which means that he was waiting for his visa to be able to remain in the United States and to work and to actually leave the U.S. because if he didn't have his visa and he left, he wouldn't be let back in. So his situation informed the story a lot because not only was it COVID isolation, he couldn't leave the United States. He couldn't work. And I don't know how much people would know about the visa process, but it's very costly and it's very lengthy. And you have no idea when you're going to get your visa. It's totally out of your control. And while you're waiting, you just can't do anything. And so we wanted to help him channel those emotions of feeling totally stuck and, and just out of control. And a lot of immigrants, creatives worked on this film, which I think is super cool. Thais Castrali, one of the directors of photography, is from Brazil. Uh, she also experienced her own visa limbo where she was separated from her now husband for a long time while she was in Brazil waiting for the visa. and. The art director, Zoe Koch, is from Canada. I'm from Mexico. Enrique is from Mexico. Charlie's also from Mexico. Uh, my sister, who's the music supervisor, also is from Mexico. So it was a very intimate group. I mean, they're all my friends who worked on this because it was COVID. It had to be a very small crew and people that you kind of were already seeing. And so, yeah, that was the story behind feeling stuck. Well, that certainly brings out this whole theme of being in limbo. And he seemed to be stuck in this endless loop of his own making because of his act, your char the character's actions. So that's really interesting to hear. Now, most of the filmmakers that I've spoken to 
write a story and then have to find their locations. But you wrote the story with the location already in mind. So can you tell us about that writing process? Was that writing process different already having the location in mind? Yeah, it was very different to write having the location in mind. You're right. It first, some, like most of the time, it's just an idea, a question. Someone wants to answer a question and then they come up with the story and then the somebody finds the location. But uh, this time around, the house really informed the story and our situation informed the story. So it was a, it's a very personal film even if it might not seem that it is because it's about, you know, a guy that murders someone or does he, haha, <laughs> you know, but it is actually a very personal story. You know, how I said before, everyone has been the villain in somebody else's story, right? Whether we really want to or not. But that house, when I was writing, I knew which places of the house that I wanted to film and to really explore. So I wrote based on the rooms and what would happen in each room. And then when I went with the directors of photography, Craig and Thais, to check out the house, they fell in love with the house too. And then they saw things that I hadn't before and they captured it so beautifully. And even if this is a horror film, it is our love letter to that house. Now, what was your approach to capturing the uniqueness of the house? You mentioned your DPs. I mean, it was shot beautifully. It looked beautiful. Even the underwater scenes. What kind of tools did they use? They shot with a black magic camera. And we also used a Super 8 camera. So we had digital and analog. They had all these cool lenses that I can't tell you. <laughs> That's more of a technical question for them. We used a fractal lens and we used an iPhone to shoot underwater, actually. So we used a bunch of cool stuff, but it's just a two-person team. I mean, they are amazing. They did everything. They was just two-person team, husband and wife. They have all the lights. They have all the gadgets and the skills. And like, there's a shot, there's an overhead shot where, you know, we look over the bed and then we see El Minotauro and he wakes up from a nightmare. And I told Craig and Thais, like, this, I want this overhead shot, but we don't have a crane. We don't have, you know, it was a, a no budget film. And Craig was like, yeah, we can do that. And I was like, how are we going to do it? And he's like, yeah, no, no, don't you worry. He, we can do that. And he created this super cool rig with C-stands where he connected the camera and he like pushed it with his foot. It was such a funny scene. Um, so they are like, you know, badass. They are down to do anything and just want to play and explore and have fun. How many shooting days was it? And then the editing process, looking at the film, it looks like the editing would have taken a while. Because we didn't have a budget and because it was COVID and because the house was going to go into remodeling. The film is the last time you will see the house like that, like exactly like that, you know. And then now that it was going to go into remodeling, we only had one weekend to shoot, but that means we only had one day. And it was a very, very long shoot. We met at like 7 a.m. and we finished shooting at like midnight or something, which is 
not the coolest thing. <laughs> but since we were in a beautiful house and it was all friends, we all just were super collaborative and just could, like wearing many hats and just going for it. Uh, but it was a very long day. When it comes to editing, my friend Layla, who I talked about earlier, she is an amazing, super talented filmmaker and also an editor. So I asked her if she would edit this film and thankfully she said yes. So grateful for that. And it just made it like 10 times, 20 times better than if I would have just edited it myself. Like it's exactly what I had envisioned and more. How long did it take her to edit it? A long time also because, you know, it was no budget and I was doing everything out of pocket. I paid some of the crew, but not as much as they would honestly deserve. But everyone just did it because they support me and we just support each other. You know, it's a beautiful community. But because of that, it took her a little bit longer because, you know, there are projects that have a super tight deadline and all that stuff. And we were just like more flexible creatively and working together and there was no real rush. So it took a while. But then she actually introduced me to the composer, Nick, who just also took it to another level, like the music and the sound. They're just so perfect to communicate the angst and what the character is going through. And hopefully everyone watches it. But do you know, every time that El Minotauro comes on screen, he has his own theme music. Yes, I noticed that. Awesome. Diana. Yes. I'm so happy you noticed that. And that was Nick's idea. And that was such a dream. Like, I'm like, who am I? You know, Spielberg or something? Like, now my character has a theme song whenever. <laughs> it's like the coolest thing ever. And it played up the angst, too. Exactly. It really played up the angst. Nice. I'm so happy that you felt that. I apologize for feeling you, for making you feel um, the angst and the anxiety. Um, but it's good to to face those emotions in a safe space. That's why I like horror because it takes you on a, on a thrill ride of fear and questioning who you are and being like, you know, I'm mostly interested in horror films where the main character is also the villain and horror lets you do that. You know, it lets you explore that darkness and those shadows that we all have felt and embody at times in a safe way. Like you can always know that you could just turn it off or when it's over, you're just going to go back to bed and, you know, it's fine. It's like when you eat spicy food, you know that the spice is going to stop. Right. Now you mentioned some of the challenges in terms of budget and the timing. Were there any other challenges that you faced while making the film? I think that is the biggest thing, you know, doing everything out of pocket and having no budget is challenging because I want everyone to be compensated for their time, of course. But other than that, honestly, Diana, like working with my friends and just creating something that to this day I'm super proud of and that I shared an idea with them and, and something that I wanted to do. And every single person just made it so much cooler and, and deeper and 
amazing. I just couldn't have asked for something better than what we all created. So even if there were challenges, the pros outweigh the the challenges, you know? I think one challenge that comes after finishing the film is then distribution. Because we made it and I want people to see it because everyone puts so much energy and effort and love into it. And I want people to see their work. You know, I want people to see our work, what we made, like what we're proud of. Well, that was going to be my next question. Oh, really? (laughs) Is where can the film be screened? The film right now can be watched in this uh, website called No Budge, which is a great spot for indie films. And also in this other website called Director's Notes, which is UK based. So you can see it there. But I did submit it. So that that's the thing. I, I submitted the film to a lot of fe- uh, festivals and it gets accepted into some, but it gets rejected into a lot. And that's something that I, I think is important to talk about when people are considering filmmaking is that you're going to face rejection all the time. And it doesn't mean that your film is terrible. You know, maybe sometimes it might. But no, honestly, it doesn't mean that your film is terrible. It just means that that wasn't the place where it was going to be seen. Maybe the other films don't really match to that style or just someone didn't connect with it. But there are so many other people that will connect with it. But that is a big challenge, like knowing that rejection will come and having to accept it and not letting it make you stop expressing yourself and creating because that would be a true shame. Well, please send me the links where the film can be screened and I'll make sure to include that in the description on the podcast so people can go there and then click the links to see the film. And then what's next for you as a filmmaker? Thank you so much for that, Diana. I will definitely send you the links. And for me as a filmmaker, what's next? I mean, since starting my artistic journey, I've always been interested in exploring themes of um, questioning who am I? Who can I be? How can I connect more to this world, uh, to myself? And so I'm going to keep expanding on those themes and researching and creating and trying to answer those questions. And my next project is a short film that I shot earlier in Mexico City uh, about vampires that live in the subway of Mexico whose mission is to avenge all the femicides that happen in Mexico. All the what? The femicides. It's like the murder of women, which is a really big, yeah, it's a really big problem in Mexico. Uh, Feminicidios, we say in Spanish. And, you know, I think it's important to, in your work, to face these really intense social issues and make people question it and be aware of it. So that is the backstory of this short film. And we are in the post-production phase. It's an origin story of one of the vampires that, you know, would ideally be expanded into a series or a feature or something like that. So that's my next project. And, you know, in the next couple of years, I'm going to direct a feature And then keep going from there, making art shows and on a more personal note, hopefully starting a family. Well, I wish you continued success with all of that. 
And in terms of this short film that you shot and that's in post now, do you already have a title for the film and are you planning on submitting it to festivals? I have a working title for the film and it's been called Wasted Fates, but I'm not 100% convinced. So who knows? We'll see. It's the working title for now. And I would absolutely love to submit it to festivals. You know, we're editing right now and there's three times that you make a film. One, when you're writing it. The second time is when you're shooting it. And the third time is when you're editing it. So it has been all types of different films. And right now it's turning into something new and I am super into it. But it's also a hard process being like sometimes you have to rethink everything and just kill your darlings, as they say. Well, Alejandra, thank you so much for joining us today. And I wish you continued success. And I am looking forward to seeing all of your projects. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Alliance of Women Filmmakers is proud to partner with Women Voices Now to present this podcast. Women Voices Now uses film to drive positive social change that advances girls' and women's rights globally. For more information about Women Voices Now, visit womenvoicesnow.org. To learn more about Alliance of Women Filmmakers and other organizations that we partner with, please visit lawomensfest.com. Visionary Voices is produced by Diana Means with editing from Otaku Media. Visionary Voices is a production of Alliance of Women Filmmakers and made possible in part by a grant from the Department of Cultural Affairs. Our website, visionaryvoicespodcast.com. Visionary Voices.